26, 2013. You're listening to Free Admission on freeadmissionfr.com and also available on iTunes. I'm Ben Turpin. And I've been wanting to do more solo audios, but generally I procrastinate. And rather than procrastinate this time, I am doing this kind of on a whim, which is when most of our audios are done. But uh, rather than procrastinate any longer on my recent Florida excursion, which I attended... I believe 10 shows, but 6 of those were in 3 days, so maybe not as impressive as it sounds. Um, That includes an impact on the 7th, 2 car shows, which is now over 2 weeks ago, an FIP show, and then of course the aforementioned 6 TNA shows in 3 days, the one night only specials. I'm going to try to keep this, and I know I say it frequently, condensed and kind of concise as possible. Again, we're kind of 2 weeks removed from the Shakar shows. Um, with that said, they haven't been released on DVD yet, So, um, but my memory in terms of specifics is going uh, to be less than desirable. But um, the So I went to Impact on the 7th, which they did Hardy and Aries, which would be not the only time I would have to see that match over the course of the Florida trip. Um, they did Devon and Sting. I think Mr. Anderson went over James Storm. Nothing... Uh, Nothing too, nothing too uh, jumping out about that show to uh, to mention, other than it was the actually last official Impact, uh, live Impact, last Impact from the Impact Zone in Orlando, Florida at Universal Studios. Um, the first Shakar show, just Shadows in the Fog, was the next day, March the 8th at the Orpheum in Ybor City. Saw two shows at that venue, they were certainly the two best shows that I saw over the course of the, you know, one to two week period. Um, this show, uh, in particular, actually, um, I think it was the more consistent because the crowd was just so active that it added to the enjoyment of everything. Um, in ring wise, I didn't think, I think the FIP show, the FIP show definitely had the better match, probably the best match that I saw over the course of the shows. Um, probably second would be, and I don't want to get into the better matches that I saw, although there weren't too many uh, that particularly stand out, would have to be the ladder match with the Young Bucks and Bad Influence of Daniels and Kazarian, which I'll talk about a little bit um, when I'm going through those shows. Uh, the show highlights of this were probably Akuma and Gargano, which was everything you would expect from these guys for 12 minutes. Probably Work Rate Rise Without a Gimmick, the second best match that I saw over the course of the shows. Um, just a lot of good wrestling, a lot of good near falls, um, certainly delivered. Maybe I would have liked to see them get a little more time, and maybe I was a little surprised live that they were so early in the show, but still delivered. Um, Archibald, Peck, and Oberion, I have no recollection of it all, other than Peck, throughout the match, he was calling for his new move, which the crowd really got behind, and then he hit the new move, and it was a DDT. And it was so fucking good. Um, mind you, he didn't win the match with that. I don't think. Um, Hollow Wicked and Sean Waltman. It didn't overstay its welcome. You know, Waltman uh, as X-Pac and the DX theme. You know, got spots in. It was actually pretty fun. Um, and then I guess probably the most noteworthy thing that came out of the weekend was the new ants of Arctic Rescue Ant, Missile, Assault Ant and Orbit Adventure Ant, who were teaming with Soldier Ant 
on both nights on this show against the Salant, Dasher Hatfield, Fire Ant, and Saturine. They were, as an act, I thought they were really good. They were very enjoyable in terms of their antics. I thought in the ring on this show, they were less than impressive. I thought they had a lot of timing issues, a lot of miscommunication. They just never were on the same page when they had to like do stuff in the ring or in terms of work rate. Um, but the crowd was incredibly into them. Um, on this show and on and in Orlando, um, and because the crowd was so behind them in this particular match, and I think it was the first time, you know, because be, they basically did the same thing on both nights. Both were very extended matches. Both went twenty to twenty-five minutes. I think the Orlando one, they played up the idea that they were only into it for themselves, as opposed to being teamed with Soldier Ant. I don't think that was as prevalent on the Tampa show or Ybor City, so I think it helped me enjoy this match more, and then the Orlando match, coupled with the fact that I had already seen their antics on this show, made it very difficult to get through the Orlando match, and I hope that made sense. Um, Mr. Touchdown and Jakob Hammermeyer, I remember absolutely nothing from this, other than, again, I don't think it overstayed its welcome, which I think some Jakob matches have done. Um, I'm not... I'm not convinced of... I don't think anybody is in terms of him having... He's had a lot of extended singles. I think it's okay if you put him in singles, and even if you put him in what may be perceived as important singles, and this was for the Young Lions Cup, but they don't have to be so long. And I think some of his other singles that he's had last year were maybe just... They were too long, so he got exposed. I think this one was, timing-wise, a lot better. And the only no, uh, one noteworthy thing that did come out of this match, I thought, was he debuted, and maybe he's, I think he used it on the season premieres, actually, was a super punch, and I think there's a better description or label for that move, and when people see it, they'll get on me for not knowing the maybe proper name of that. Um, and this show was going really well at this point. Uh, I did overlook, actually, the opener, which was a fatal four-way or I don't know if it was labeled a fatal four-way, but it was a four-way elimination tag with Icarus and Sugar Dunkerton, Cobalt and Kodama, Green Ant and Quack, and Jigsaw and the Shard, um, which was very lengthy as well, got the show off to a good start, but um, the reason I jump back to that is from th- from the opener to probably Angel Seti and uh, Hammermeyer, they did some stuff with Donst. Um, looks like he's... Like, it looks like they're kind of forming what I think could be perceived as a new flock in ways with Donst. Um, wow, her name is totally escaping me. Veronica. Uh, and ha- Hammermeyer, and then they did uh, Steve Weiner. And I'm actually kind of impressed that I'm remembering all these names, just because uh, I'm not... Uh, I do watch a lot of Shakara, but uh, I'm not exactly in tune a lot of the time, and to kind of be on the spot now and have to remember all these names. Um, But anyways, so from the first match to Touchdown, Hammermeyer, I thought the show was just super consistent in-ring-wise. The crowd was really behind, I think, everything, which I think was kind of surprising just because it was in Florida. I think, and and I I like the Ebor venue, the Orpheum. I think it has a lot going for it. I think that if Sal was smart, I think they actually have something there. 
but Sal and Smart aren't exactly two things that correspond with one another. Um, uh, and I guess really up till the semi-main, which was for the Campione de Pareja with uh, Parker and Matthews against Blaster, McMassive, and Max Smashmaster, the Devastation Corporation, which is... I don't know why people get on their case. Uh, they're perfect for Shakara. Um, this was very entertaining. Again, it didn't overstay its welcome. Devastation Corporation got their stuff in. I actually could have seen this live when I was in the Northeast in December. I think it was a wrestling is... It was one of the wrestling is shows. Um, and there's many jokes to be made about how many there are now. But uh, And it was actually in the main event of that show. Um, I ultimately didn't attend, but I did get it here. And it was a lot of fun. But Devastation got their stuff in. Looked good. Didn't overstay its welcome again. So that certainly played into its favor. And 3.0, who I'm not particularly behind that much. Uh, looks like they're going to get, you know, kind of uh, that extended, or at least more of a run than they got last year with the titles. And then, I think, it, and, and basically what I'm leading up to here and have been leading up to is I insert verbal filler uh, to this Eddie Kingston Amazing Kong main event. The show was so consistent, and this match was going along really well, and the finish was so anticlimactic. And it was just kind of like a, you know, like you have a good show, you want it to end on a good note, and it was probably the lowest point of the entire show. Not that there was... It just it just kind of came out of nowhere. I thought they were building to more. But Amazing Kong is amazingly lazy at this point. Um, I think she has... You know, I think she's plagued with injuries. So her bumping is, like, super limited in what she's going to do. But, I mean, for, I think, the ten minutes that this went, I thought, uh, I thought it was more enjoyable than I thought it was going to be, but I didn't know the finish was going to be that flat. So I think this was the most consistent show that I saw over the course of the trip. Um, crowd was great. Uh, I don't want to hype the crowd up too much, but um, I think it should it should add a lot to a show that maybe in another... Maybe, for instance, in... Uh, wow, and I don't even know the names of the uh, Easton or uh, the other venue that they ran at the season premiere, which, by the way, that double shot, I watched those shows, uh, me and JP watched them, I thought they were, I thought they had a lot of good stuff on them, the crowds were really bad, like, and I was trying to figure out what it was, because particularly, like, Touchdown and Peck, which I thought was awesome, with the storytelling, and just, it was a really good match, um, but, like, like, I've seen a lot of people hype it up, and I was trying to figure out what it was that was missing about it, and being a crowd stickler, like I always have been, like, that's what was wrong with that, like, that's why it just didn't jump out to me, or those shows in general didn't jump out to me, which is kind of unfortunate, because those are, like, their two home venues, and they just weren't really into anything, or they didn't certainly didn't add to anything, um, so I think I was just surprised, you know, they come down to Florida... I don't know, it's just, uh, but, you know, Shakara, as usual, I don't know why I would doubt them, because, unlike the usual promotions that run at the Orpheum and in Ybor City, they know how to promote. Um, but with that said, Orlando probably did the same, which I think had to be considered a disappointment. 
they had three rows on each side of the ring, and they actually eliminated two of them before the... Or, I should say, yeah, three rows on each side, so that would have left two out of four. Um, the Watchmaker from March 9th uh, started with a... I don't know the name of the Fed. I should. Um, a local Orlando Fed with Oliver, uh, showcase match with Oliver Grimsley and Eddie Graves. This match was pretty bad. Um, I... they. Shakara, I mean, they always throw on the showcase matches that they do on DVD. I would not be surprised if this was one that got edited off. It was, like, that bad. Um, but with that said, I would be surprised if it was edited off. But um, just because they do throw all of them on. Then we had Cobalt, Kodama, Oberian, Ophidian, the Batyrian Ophidian, against Arctic Rescue Ant, Missile Assault Ant, and Orbit Adventurer Ant, and Soldier Ant. Like I mentioned, I kind of already said my piece about them. I thought they were a super entertaining act. I thought their antics were good. I thought the crowd was behind them. More so in this match than the previous night, they really played up that they are in this for themselves as opposed to being teamed, you know, being... And it is a wink team, but, you know, the association with the ants, I think, maybe could confuse people. But, you know, people who watch Shakar are more than aware, I'm sure. Um, and I think coupled, again, with the fact that I saw their act the first night, and then now they were just playing up more antics on this particular show, and it went, like, the match was, I think, 22 or 23 minutes, and it came off that rough opener, I, I would, I went as far as I think to say that this was probably one of the most boring matches that I've ever watched live. It just went on and on. I mean, and I was saying it, like, 10 minutes into the match, um... I probably won't be as bad on DVD, but uh, I guess that um, I guess that'll be seen soon. I don't know. Hollow Wicked Jakob, I remember absolutely nothing from. Again, Jakob's punch is awesome. I remember that. Uh, assailant touchdown. This is pretty good. Uh, I'm. I mean, uh, assailant. And and I guess I, I don't want to use green. I'm not a big fan of pointing out people being green or kind of inexperienced. Um, he's okay. I'm not as big of a fan as a lot of people seem to be of him, but this was a pretty good match. I mean, it probably delivered to my expectations, because I don't think he's bad or anything. I just don't think he's as good as I see some people kind of write him, write him, write him up as. Um, Jigsaw and the Shard, Fire Ant Quack. This was probably on par with, with Gargano and uh, Akuma from the first night in terms of work rate. I mean, these were the two strongest matches over the course of the weekend, in my opinion. Unfortunately, they didn't have a crowd like they had for Gargano and Kuma. Um, but they they worked really hard, went about 15 minutes. I would say definitely, definitely delivered to my expectations, and this was probably the match I was looking forward to most on this show other than the one that uh, I guess we ended up not getting. Uh, Peck and Donst was fine. They brought in the crowd. They brought in the bleacher, uh, bleachers, which was the only time I think the action came near us other than uh, Shane Matthews. I don't even know which is which. Scott Parker, during the entrance, uh, one of them came up, um, came up to the bleachers where we were sitting. Then our main event, which uh, was originally there was going to be an I think it was it was going to be a 10-person tag, um, and what happened was uh, we were going to get Green Ant and Kingston, of course, for the Grand Championship. Green Ant replaced Satterine, who was originally in the 10-person, and Eddie Kingston wasn't on the show. Uh, they went like 25 minutes. It's exactly what you would expect them to do for 25 minutes. Uh, really a lot of fun action. Um, 
I wasn't like overwhelmed about it again I think this was kind of like the opposite of the night before where if this had had the crowd from the first night I would have probably loved the crap out of it um and it really sucks that we didn't get Kingston and Green Ant because that was probably my most anticipated match next to Akuma and Gargano in the tag match on this show uh for the two Shikara uh, shows and you know what I was looking forward to most, you know, when I was coming down to Florida for the, for the set of shows. And I think, uh, you know, I probably should have said this before, but I think going in, I think, uh, at least within my immediate kind of inner circle, we expected the Lando show to be better. I think it was, I don't know which I would have preferred on paper at the time. I think I liked the Ybor City show on paper more, but, um, anyways, I think we expected the Orlando crowd to be better as well, so I think in both ways it kind of went the opposite direction, and then you start off with such a hot Ebor show, and then you come in with this Orlando show, and it just, you know, it just didn't compare. So, if you're asking me a recommendation to get the Ebor City show, without question, Watchmaker, you never need to see it. I think Watchmaker. I think there's something, a joke to be made with the watch, and not watching. But, uh, with that said, then... Let's see. Then was actually a TNA pay-per-view the next day, which I did see. Um, not a good show. It was okay. I didn't think it was uh, horrible, but um, again, and I don't want to get off into TNA, and I'm gonna, you know, I'm gonna talk about them next, I guess. Or actually, I'll talk about FIP first before I get into TNA. Um, TNA is just. I don't even I don't even really know how to express I mean I know how to express myself when it comes to them but they're just so dull like it I don't think the product is bad I mean it's certainly an upgrade from what it was a year ago at this time but it just doesn't matter what they do I'm not interested like take for instance this past week's TV and they did a four-way number one contenders match. Mind you, Jeff Hardy never got his rematch anyways, but and he won the four-way. But it was the winner would get a match with Bully Ray. And it was Joe, Angle, Hardy, and Magnus. And I don't think Angle and Bully Ray have actually had a have had a big match on a pay-per-view, so maybe I'm already contradicting myself. But like, even if they did book that, like I'm just not interested in any of the possible pairings that could come from that four-way in Bully Ray. And that's how I feel about, like, their entire cards. And then, I think, a big... And now they're instituting this... Every X-Division match has to be a three-way, which is absolutely ridiculous. And I would be... Like, I I would, of course, be... um, I would, of course, be critical of the idea anyways, but I would be more inclined to accept it if they had guys that could work three-way matches, and I know there's different ways and different styles to work three-way matches, but, like, the match that they did at the pay-per-view when Kenny King essentially killed himself with that backflip off a guy, I don't remember who was who, but Christian York and and Shima Ion, and I actually went off a little bit uh, on Twitter about this, the... when you're going to work that style, you have to have people that know how to work the style. Kenny King and Christian York, in my opinion, can be good in those matches if they're the only of their type, and what I mean by that, bases, as opposed to... Um, and I think Zima, I think Zima can play both sides, but like, I just think it's... When you're going to work those spotty matches, you have to have guys that can do spots. 
You know, and like these guys can do spots, they just don't look fair, and they try really hard, you know, so I give them credit, but you see what happens when they do, and the match just doesn't work, as opposed to if you have guys in there, you know, doing doing that type of match and being at least acceptable at it, and I just don't think, I think Zima can be. I think Kenny King and Christian York, if they're the only, you know, if they're the only type in the match, it will work. Um, I'm not sure if I worded any of that how I wanted to, but uh, I give them credit for at least giving the guys, I mean, I think they went 12 minutes and they tried to have, like, a show-stealing match in the opener, but it just didn't work. And it's never going to work, and that's the problem. It's like, I like Kenny King. I think he's an underperformer. I think he has a lot of rough spots in some of his matches. I'm okay with that. I mean, I still think he's a good promo. I think he has good charisma. I think he has to be put in a better position to succeed. Um, So I'm kind of blaming the booking there. I mean, he could certainly do more to help his cause. Um, but with that said, I went to FIP Establish Dominance, which was also at the Orpheum uh, in Ybor City. Crowd down significantly from the Shakar show. This was... Uh, the pacing of the show was just fantastic. I mean, so, so fantastic. Um, and I should probably bring up the card to run down, because... FIP established dominance, Ybor City at the Orpheum. The uh, opening four-way, Shane Strickland, Dirty White Boy, Lince Dorado, Mike Cruz. Very, well, I should, I'm very familiar with two of the four guys in this match, uh, which would be Lince and Mike, Mike Cruz. Um, Shane Strickland, I've seen several times now. Dirty White Boy, who was actually, I think, labeled as DWB in the advertisement. Never seen before. Uh, very fun... Nine-minute opening, sprint, a lot of action, exactly what you would expect from these guys. In the surprise of the show, um, or I say surprise of the show, which was a very fun surprise, actually, um, KOA of Aaron Epic and Sugar Dunkerton are out next, who weren't advertised for the show, against Angel Santos, who I've never seen before, and Biff Busick, who is a favorite of supporters of this site, um, and uh, I'm a supporter of Biff Busick. I like him a lot. Um, but this was originally... It looked like we were going to get Busick in a tag match against Francisco Siazzo and his partner, whoever that was. So this was, like, to say the least, an incredible upgrade. So just because we didn't have to see Siazzo, I mean, it's like the difference in, you know, I don't know. But it's a big difference. Kenneth Cameron, uh, the match itself, I actually, it was probably the, I don't want to say the weakest match, but, because it, it was, it was, it was fine, they, I think they got the heat on Santos, well, I'm pretty sure they got the heat on Santos for, like, 60-70% of the match, Biff Busick had, like, one or two hot tags, Busick looked good, um, and we tried to get him over, and I think we did, I don't know how it translated on the iPay-Per-View, I haven't watched the iPay-Per-View back, but uh, I think I probably would have expected a little more out of this match, but they were working a second on the match card, so whatever. Kenneth Cameron, Johnny Vandal. Um, I forgot to mention, they opened the show with a scene segment with Buggy Nova, Trina Michaels, Larry Dallas, and the scene, Caleb Conley, and Scott Reed. At one point, Buggy Nova and Trina Michaels made out, and Sal will certainly remind you of that. I think he posted a picture on his Facebook or on the FIP page, Facebook page. 
Um, anyways, they, I think they wanted to recruit Kenneth Cameron. I think that was the idea. He turned them down after he won this match. Johnny Vandal kind of, like, begged. And Larry Dallas said, okay, you're in, buddy. Or something like that. Um, match itself, I don't know Kenneth Cameron. I know that, I know a couple people, you know, like, that I was at the show with that like, aren't a fan at all, but I didn't see any of his NXT or FCW work, so I really can't comment, um, and he was probably on television at some, at some point, I think he maybe was once, I think somebody told me, but I didn't see it, Tommy Taylor and John Gresham, which I would argue second most anticipated match on this show for sure, actually, I wouldn't argue, definitely was, um, and I was so happy that this match got 20 minutes, I don't think it was as good as they would have liked and I don't think it was as good as I would have hoped, especially given they got 20 minutes. But you see the style. It's basically European style, like, and on the mat for 20 minutes. I mean, and then, you know, for 18 minutes, they were literally on the mat. And then Gresham does, like, a flying big boot off the top rope. I think Tommy Taylor does one big move and a near fall. And then he hit the London Dungeon, and that was the finish. Um... And you see the style so infrequently that when I do, it's just like big bonus points. And it's like, it wins no matter what. So I, I, I need to watch this again. Um, but again, I just, uh, I don't want to say that my expectations were too high for it. I just, you know, to be honest. But I mean, but to be honest, like, I, I, I think it could have been better and I would have, I would have hoped that it was better. But, uh, again, immensely appreciated just what what it was that they were doing. And on this show and on most shows when you don't see this ever, it's such a refreshing change of pace. Maxwell Chicago, who is... And Derek Rise. Maxwell Chicago, who is becoming... He is very much a... And I don't want to steal this one because this has been pointed out to me a couple times. A Larry Sweeney, Sal Renaro... Um, I think more so on the Larry Sweeney side in terms of comedy, entertaining, who's a good wrestler, who's a good... I think he's pretty good as well, so I think he can hold his own in the ring, which I think is good, but he's just so entertaining, and people just smile and laugh when he's in the ring, and I think that's a an, an extremely rare quality. Um, and... I think there's something there with him. You know, when the first time I saw... Uh, oh, God, I don't want to sound like one of those people. But the first time I saw him, which was in June at Evolve... No, I, I've seen him before that. Because I think he worked some CZW stuff, and then I saw him in a pre-show match, WrestleMania weekend last year when they were in Hollywood. He was in a tag match, but he didn't really play up his antics at all. And then I saw him at the Evolve FUW pre-shows, and I just thought, this guy, you know, this guy... Everybody needs to be booking him. And he really has that quality. And I don't want to put him at the level of a Larry Sweeney. But, I mean, when this guy... And I guess he's had an opportunity, because as I noted, he was in CZW. Although, I haven't seen them. Um, but I th- I'm pretty sure that's been pointed out to me. Um, but nonetheless, uh, in, the, in this match, he played up this idea. So Derek Rise had his entrance. And, and Maxwell went over. He's actually won both the uh, matches. He's 2-0 and in FIP, or since the rebirth of FIP, or FIP before Christ. Or that was FIP before Christ, when he lost. Um, and now he's the new FIP, so he's 2-0, and you see. And um, 
So Derek Rise makes his entrance, who, mind you, is in North Carolina town, I believe. And Maxwell comes out, and he's playing up the idea that he's waiting for his opponent to come out. And then Derek Rise kicks him in the leg. And he's like, no, no, stop. And, and he's playing up, you know, that I might have a, a title match tonight. And he keeps looking at the entrance, waiting for his opponent. And then the match starts up. And every every and this is another, you know, big compliment, I think, is that I've seen him a handful of times now. Not on, Well, I shouldn't say on tape. But I've, seen, I've watched some of this stuff on YouTube. And every time I've seen him live, which is a handful of times now, he's never done the same thing. And, like, you know... So he, he shows, like, there's, like, a range there, I guess. Um, anyways, Jason Rance, Corey Hollis, a uh, big supporter of Corey Hollis. I think he's out of Alabama. Um, of course, you know, he's in a tag team Alabama attitude with Mike Posey. So, but, um, no, he works, uh, I think he, I don't know where he's based out of, but he works a lot in Georgia. I don't even know, I don't think Alabama has a wrestling scene. I know there's NWA Pro South which is the Piedmont venue that Shakar ran. Um, that's the only Fed I know of in Alabama. Uh, but Corey Hollis, um, you know, I'm glad to see him getting booked. You know, I mean, this FIP, I mean, this is a, you're, you're going to see a lot of guys here that Gabe's probably... I assume a lot of these guys are Gabe kind of like, like guys that Gabe is going to like, is at least looking at. I think a lot, like a lot of, if they're willing to drive down for these FIP shows and for the exposure, um, and you know, a lot of guys are willing to do that, uh, and you have to be, um, in terms of, I'm not going to say anything about Jason Rance, uh, but in terms of the match, I was fine. It was pretty short. Uh, the finish was pretty devastating. It was like get in the rope, like spike pile driver, MSL got involved, whatever. Uh, Dos Bendejos or Los Bendejos, depending on who you ask for the FIP tag titles. They won them at the the return FIP show. Everything burns in February uh, from the scene. This time, uh, Larry Dallas actually wasn't at that show, so this was kind of like the blow-off to him now being there. Got involved. Uh, I thought the match, I actually saw the match they had the first month. I didn't see the entire first show from February, but I saw like the second half. I thought the match was pretty on par actually, and this one had a... I, they really messed up the finish for the first match, and I'm not... I'm never really forgiving of finishes, so if you're gonna... if you're gonna screw one up, it's gonna stand out to me, and this one didn't have a messed up finish, so I probably preferred this match to that one, although the work, I think, in the first match was maybe a little bit better, but they were pretty similar. John Davis and Samurai, and I hope that my incredible... I don't know... uh deep sigh breathing doesn't come across so bad on the mic, because I'm sure it sounds terrible. Uh, the FIP title match, John Davis, Samurai Del Sol, which was certainly, I think, in the top two or three matches that I was looking forward to when I came down for the trip. Um, and they had, I think the best way to describe this match is they had a, they had not only, well, I think it's actually, I think they had more than an evolved main event. I think they had a Dragon Gate USA main event style of match. I think I don't think they would do this much on an Evolve show, as weird as that sounds. Um, maybe they would. I don't know. Um, but I think Dragon Gate USA has a bit of a different standard as opposed to Evolve, which is kind of more about uh, not necessarily styles, although they try to build that up. I mean, they've certainly got away from that in the records. 
and uh, I think a lot of people like that concept, but I don't think Gabe has been able to uh, to do as much as maybe he would have liked with that. Um, and I think they have, like, evolved main events, I think, are more like in the 15 to 20 minute range, and I think, so I think, but I just think they do more. They do more in Dragon Gate USA. You know, what can I say? I mean, I could probably try to come up with some ridiculously, I don't know, introverted way of of trying to state that Evolve main events are lesser than Dragon Gate USA main events, but they just do more. So I think that's the best way to describe it. I spent way too much time explaining that. The match was really good. Um, John Davis, in my opinion, has had the two strongest matches so far this year in the WWN universe. The match with Johnny Gargano from the second LA show, and this one. Um, And I feel pretty confident saying that as well. Um, This match, for the first, I would say, probably for a first quarter, 30, 35-40% of this match, Davis just worked over Del Sol. Then Del Sol makes a bit of a comeback. Then they go nuts. Uh, There was a dive at one point off the balcony which is the second time Del Sol has done a dive in that building. The first time um, off would have been at JPC in December. Um, that one he did a backflip. Here he just did a bit of a, like a twisting kind of like dive. Um, we ran up and hit the mat, which I thought was really awesome. It was kind of like PWG Reseda-esque, um, which I think really adds to the atmosphere. And I think it, uh, And I think when it's not overdone, which it was the only time, I think maybe they done it once or twice at the Orpheum. I don't know. JP would be better to answer that if it's happened there before. But uh, it it shows genuine emotion, and I think it adds... I mean, it, it certainly adds, but it adds like a very cool kind of, I don't know, like quality to the match. Um, and they... I mean, they really... like. I wouldn't say they had me believe in Del Sol was going to win, because I knew he was never going to win. But they did some great near falls and some very belie- like they did a lot. Like and I, it's the main event. I knew they were going to do a whole lot. I knew they were going to go like at least twenty minutes, and they were gonna, it was going to be a really good match. But I didn't think it was going to be this good. I haven't rewatched it yet, but I implore anybody to like go out of your way to see that match. You know, John Davis gets a lot of shit um, because he can't get over with a pretty crappy character which is probably Gabe's fault, in cities or in towns or just in Evolve or Dragon Gate USA or in that universe where nothing gets over. So that's why John Davis is kind of in the position he is where he gets a lot of crap. But I think people who watch his matches, I don't think they have a problem with that. And usually, if you're having good matches, that's all that really should matter in those promotions because that's the only reason people watch. Um, Or maybe it's not. Maybe... You know, because I go on Facebook and I go on Twitter and one of the biggest complaints is I just don't have... There's no storyline continuation. I just don't have anything to get into. And for me, I just, you know... Anybody who knows me knows I don't really care as much about those things. Not that you shouldn't have a reason to get invested, but great matches, in my opinion, for indie wrestling and Dragon Gate USA Evolve, what they're going for should be enough. I know a lot of people are going to disagree with that comment. I don't even know why I mentioned it. Uh, so that was FIP, established dominance. Again, the pacing was great. I mean, come out with a good sprint. Then you have, you know, two come-down matches. Then Tommy Taylor, Gresham get like 20 minutes. Two shorter matches. Then go to your double main event title matches. 
tag title match, I think, went like 13, 14, 15 minutes, something like that, and then just a great main event. A really, really good main event. And again, I please go out of your way to check out Davis and Del Sol, because I think it deserves to be seen. The 16 A-shows in three days, the one-night-only specials, the last hurrah from the Impact Zone for TNA, Impact Wrestling, whatever they're branding themselves as. I think they brand themselves as Impact Wrestling. They're still TNA, the company. Very confusing and convoluted, in my opinion. Um, I'm not going to... I'm not going to run down all these cards because it's pretty pointless. I think... I think there was a couple things that were happening this weekend. Jacob pointed it out um, on more than one occasion, and I agree, where... I think we kind of got we we kind of not necessarily took the good with the bad, but like certain things helped shows, and then if you like flip to the other side of the coin, like kind of hurt other shows. Like, so look at it like this, and this is a positive way to look at it. I think is with the knockout show, which actually turned out to be the second most enjoyable show, because so many girls and teenage like past females turned them down. Like I know Tracy Brooks and the ECW Vampire Girl, and uh, I think Taylor Wilde, I think, was there, but I don't know if her visa got through. I don't know if she was there for that, but I, apparently she was there. Uh, but I heard maybe she worked NXT or FCW or something like that. It's NXT now, right? It's not FCW anymore. I um, mean, there was a couple other girls. Anyway, so because all those girls turned them down, we ended up... So what they were... What, what basically they were left with is they just had to bring in good workers. And we got cheerleader Melissa. We got Mia Yim. Trinity, I assume, was probably already going to be on the show. Not the biggest Serena Deeb fan, but she was on the show, and I give them credit for that one. And because of that, and uh, Eve Elise was also on the show. She's later in the course of the One Night Only special, she became a member of Aces and Eights. I don't know if that's going to have any long-term effect or if that was just for these shows to get them done. Um, and there was no, like, blow-away matches or anything, but because of, like, because of that suspense and that unpredictability of those girls being on the show, it added to the enjoyment, and I thought all the matches were pretty good. Nothing really overstayed its welcome. Jillian Hall was there. They played up her WWE character which at least has at least some sort of novelty, I guess. Um, so this the, the knockout show was really enjoyable, but then I guess the other side of that, which the point I was originally making before I actually talked about the show, and that's as much as I'm going to talk about the show, um, is they couldn't get visas cleared in time. And because of that, we didn't get any of the guys, I think, that they, you know, that they were going to try to bring in for the International Cup or for any of the other shows. Um, But ultimately, and I don't think that was necessarily a big detriment. I mean, maybe it was a little bit, but I think the biggest detriment was just that... And look, I don't blame them. They had six shows in three days. They had a lot of... um, A lot of... And what's the the wording I'm looking for? They had a lot of guys that, you know, they were going to work a number of those shows. And you have to pace yourselves. I think you can book it more effectively... I think they could have booked it way more effectively where certain guys got off shows and other guys were put in positions to have better matches to make this show stand out and make this show stand out and make this show stand out. I think the best way to describe the shows is they were house shows. Um, They were house shows. They were very basic. There was a lot of playing to the crowd, which I'm fine with because that can be very enjoyable. Bully Ray, I thought, was um, 
one of the standouts. And he has been for a while with TNA. Like, I think he's very good. I don't necessarily look forward to his matches, but I think he's very good with his promos and his antics and playing to the crowd. And we got a lot of that again over the course of the six shows. Um, but again, I just think they could have booked the shows more effectively. And then, um, I guess... Uh, I guess the best example would have been the TNA 10 show. They promoted a three main events, and it's going to look good on paper, but then you're going to watch it, and you're going to be like, wow, that was such a waste of time. They did Aries and Hardy, Storm and Rude, and Joe and Angle, and they promoted it as like the three biggest feuds, triple main event in TNA history. And they went out there, and they had the most bare-bone basic matches that you could expect from these guys. Um, again, there's parts of me that doesn't blame them for that, but at the same time, these are going to be on pay-per-view, so, I mean, why not just, I don't know, they, they could have just as easily went to these towns that they're going to, or just recorded them at house shows, you know, at actual house shows, but it's more spaced out, and then you could send them off and put them on pay-per-view, I don't know, seems like a, seems like a, a, a fair, I don't know. But, you know, maybe there's maybe there's time restraints, maybe money, I don't know. Um, I guess the other highlight of the other four shows, um, I guess Funaki was there, Hardcore Holly was there, West Briscoe bashing was great. Um, nobody, like, nobody likes West Briscoe. Um, I think that goes without saying. Uh, and then the highlight, the Young Bucks, without question, in the latter match that they had with Bad Influence, Daniels and Kazarian, on the Hardcore Justice show, which turned out to be the most enjoyable show, as I kind of expected, because I felt like the the plunder and the stipulations and the weapons would uh, would help a lot of the matches, just in terms of enjoyability. Um, and maybe I could word that better, but... Um, the latter match was 13 minutes of everything you would expect from these guys. This is one thing that it delivered. Um, I think if you just go in realizing it's on a TNA show, I think you'll be I think you'll be happy. Um, of course, this isn't going to air until like December, I think November or December or maybe early next year actually. Um, the 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 Buck they redid the three minutes three spot with the dive off the ladder. You know, tip the ladder dive off the rope, which was awesome. Um, there wasn't a big filling out process. They basically went at it for like 30 seconds to a minute. Went after the ladders, 10 minutes of spots, can't complain. Everything that I really could have hoped that it would have been. I mean, it was it was, it was was 13 minutes of spots, and or it was 20 minutes, it was a 20 minute ladder match in 13 minutes in terms of the amount that they did. So, um, also, what else was on this show? I think this show that show in particular started off really strong up until they did Judas, Macias, and Abyss, and then they did a tables match with Spike Dudley and Jeff Hardy against the Dudleys, and the last two matches really took the show down a notch, but up to that point, it was certainly a lot of fun. They also did uh, New Church and LAX in a hardcore match, which I came in in the middle of. Um, there was one other... Th- fun thing that was on the show. Actually, probably the six-man um, with Hardcore Holly in it. It was uh, Aces and Eights of Knox or Nux, I don't know what they're calling them, Doc and West Briscoe against Hardcore Holly, James Storm, and one other person who I should know. Um, but this was more so fun just because the 
five to ten people that I was with hated West Briscoe, and the crowd got behind it. So, and James Storm constantly uh, kind of acknowledging the fact that we did not like West Briscoe, and he apparently does not either. Um, but with that said, uh, and I guess there's really nothing else that I should mention from those shows. Um, I could rank them, but really it's just the women's show, second, the hardcore show, a top, and then really everything else. Um, the Young Bucks were also in the tag tournament. I actually missed one of the tag tournaments because they started them early and we got there like right at 1pm and they were in the middle of the second match, which featured the Hot Shots, mind you, which was pretty awesome. Pretty random. I don't know about awesome, but very random. Um, they did uh, the Bucks and Petey and Dutt, Petey Williams and Sanjay Dutt, which on paper, no sounds very awesome. I heard it was just pretty good. So, And then we did get them later in the show against the Dudleys, which is a first-time ever match and an awesome like novelty thing, and I got to see that. So I, the fact that I did get to see them again on that show and then have the ladder match next day certainly um, certainly kind of helped my spirits and uh, I guess the, and then actually I could have stuck around and went to NXT which I didn't and NXT turned out to look awesome they did Regal and Hero they did Pac and Claudio they did Jericho and I think Way Bryant I think that's his name right Way Bryant or Wyatt Bry Wyatt something like that um but uh, yeah so I kind of um I kind of regret not sticking around, but at the same time, I wanted to come home. Um, wanted to come home more so to just get in my bed and, and sleep for, you know, 18 hours. And I actually think I just woke up. I've been back since, like, I don't know, what, like last Wednesday. And I'm just now waking up and to do this audio. Um, but with that said, uh, that concludes my Florida excursion. Uh, 10 shows in 13 days, I believe it was. Which, again, doesn't sound as impressive because of the six shows in three days, but it was a lot of shows, and oddly, I didn't really get burnt out. I think it was just because there was a lot of variety there, um, a lot of cool people to be around uh, or to interact with and talk about wrestling, so that certainly helps the experience. Um, it's really not going to slow down either. Um, the Starting Saturday to Sunday, the following Sunday, from which will be the 30th of March to the 7th of April, is going to be absolutely hectic. I'm doing ROH in Asheville. I might do PWX on Friday, which is advertising Caleb Conley and Steen, Michael Elgin and Corey Hollis. I think they're doing Chiva Kid and Delirious. There may be another ROH guy or two on that show, or advertised ROH guy. And then ROH in Asheville on Saturday. Then the Braves home opener on Monday, just season opener, which is at home on Monday. Then I'm do- and then I guess Tuesday the customary break after opening day, and then the Wednesday home game, and then I'm flying. I will be flying out on Thursday to Newark and Secaucus and WrestleMania weekend, and I'm doing a whole lot that weekend. Pretty much everything WrestleCon. I'm doing Pro Wrestling Syndicate on Friday. No, wait, that'd be Thursday. Friday is Evolve and Combat Zone Wrestling. I'm not doing Keiju Big Battle. That's the one That's the one thing I am going to skip um, although I may end up being there, I don't know. It just really depends how I feel. And then on Saturday, Shimmer, Shakara, Drangate USA, the first of two Drangate USA shows, Five Doll Wrestling, Drangate USA show on uh, Saturday or Sunday afternoon. And I am going to WrestleMania with my limited view, cheapy seat, 
which is, again, cheaper than the pay-per-view, so I achieved my goal. But anyways, enough, uh, enough of that. With that said, we will do, hopefully, Mania audios. We also still have to do a two-year anniversary audio, actually, which we haven't done. And for all I know, maybe one of those Mania audios will be the two-year anniversary in terms of labeling and titles, but those things really don't matter anyways. Um, but yeah, we'll hopefully be back next week or within the next, you know, before WrestleMania weekend with a couple of WrestleMania preview audios and breaking those down. We'll bring on a couple of random people that, you know, you generally don't hear on the site. And uh, I guess until then, I'm Ben Turpin. I want to thank you for listening. Uh, you can follow us on Twitter, FreedomMissionFR. FreedomMissionFR.com is the site. Uh, like us on Facebook and subscribe to us on iTunes. And until then, or until next time. Thank you.